0: Acts chapter 5, we're going to look at, starting in verse number, uh, we'll read verse 29, but really our text starts in verse number 33. (coughs) Pardon me if I'm coughing, I'm I'm still having this, uh, trying to kick this, whatever it is that's not wanting to go away. (coughs) Acts chapter 5, verse number 29, the Bible says this, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said... What's interesting is just as a a note here, apparently in the first instance when they were arrested, it was just Peter and John, right? But notice here it says the other apostles. So apparently all or a a portion of the apostles has now been arrested. Notice that the the persecution is expanding. So right now they're just going after the leaders, but it's not going to stay that way. So Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. We looked at that uh, some time back, and the Bible says in verse 30, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses of these things, And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey Him. Now remember, don't get confused with that word obey there. Uh, That's, you know, the Bible says repeatedly about obeying the gospel. And that's not referring to a set of good works you have to keep until you die, or else you'll you'll, you'll not go to heaven. It's just referring to God's command to believe, to repent and believe the gospel. All right, verse number 33. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up, I'm sorry, for before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and had beaten and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, thank you once again for the opportunity for your church to gather together to fellowship, to encourage one another, to see one another's face, to praise you together, to gather around your word, to hear from you. Lord, and I pray to this, that this Sunday would be no exception, that, Lord, you would certainly meet with us. And uh, you said that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you would be in the midst. And, Lord, there's more than two or three here. There's a, a multitude here that are gathered together in your name, not for their own purposes, but for your sake, because they love you. Lord, look upon that and smile upon it and bless our meeting here this morning. Bless our time as we look in your word. And Lord, also give grace and blessings and mercy to those that can't be with us for various reasons like illness and such. I pray that you would please bless those and encourage them and, uh, and strengthen them that they would, they would uh, be able to be back with us soon. And Lord, as we look at Acts chapter 5 and this, this section about Gamaliel, give us wisdom and understanding and teach us, Lord, uh, what your word says very plainly and distinctly. Encourage your people, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you'll, you'll remember that uh, in, this is the second occasion that the, uh, the leaders of Israel have arrested the apostles now. Now, notice... The group that has a, re- it is important to note as a historical note. Remember, the Bible is, is not just, this is not just a narrative written by some guys that wanted to make, you know, the followers and disciples of Jesus to look cool. It was a, a narrative written by, it's, a, it's an historical account. And these, some of these details are important. For instance, this is the second time that the, uh, verse 17 says, then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. That's an important point. This is the second time that the people associated with the high priest have now arrested the disciples. Now, it's interesting because the high priest was of the sect of the Sadducees. And, of course, the Sadducees is what we would refer to as basically like a liberal, a theologically liberal person, someone who did not really believe the scriptures. And so... That's, that's what you have here. Now, if you read, I'm not trying to bore you, but if you read the historian Josephus, he actually, in one of his books, he actually, he actually describes the different philosophical sects that, that existed in the, around the time of Christ. And he described the Sadducees. And what he said was that the Sadducees were the, were the, um, the elite. They were the elite. That's why you see them with the council. That's why they're the the people associated with the high priest. They they weren't great in number. People didn't highly revere the Sadducees. That group, that was reserved to the Pharisees. The Pharisees. But the Pharisees, as we see here, were also part of the council. And what Josephus said is the, the, the Sadducees were the elite, but if they wanted to get anything done, they had to make sure they had the Pharisees on their side which is interesting, which is what you see here. Because when a Pharisee spoke up and said, this is what we need to do, they just kind of went along with that and sort of agreed. And so it, it turned out like we read here in chapter 5. But that's, that's kind of the background of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very highly regarded, very highly regarded in this, this society. Now, we know Gamaliel is mentioned in verse number 34. The Bible says he was, in verse number 34, he was a Pharisee. He was part of the council. He was a doctor of the law. And he was a person who had, was had in reputation. And that just means that he was someone who was highly revered. He was respected. And uh, so uh, that's going to be an important point in just a minute when we look at it. But there's another part about Gamaliel in Acts 22, verse 3 we find Gamaliel is mentioned again, but this time by Paul. The Bible says, Paul said when he was uh, giving uh, testimony, he said, yet he was brought up in this city in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. So Gamaliel is an important figure in that he is the one who instructed Paul in the ways of the Pharisees. Now, what we do see in the book of Acts is there were many priests who believed in Christ, and that would have been closer to the sect of the Sadducees. But then there were also, Paul was an example of a Pharisee who believed in Christ. And, uh, and, but Paul was brought up, you, you can understand some of what Gamaliel was like because of Paul, but I think there was a big difference between Paul and Gamaliel, which I'll, I'll point out in just a minute. But that, that's the only two mentions of Gamaliel in the Bible. Um, now the question that's brought up as you see in verse number 34 and down through verse number, uh, especially verse, verse number 38, Gamaliel says, refrain from these men and let them alone for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Now that, that reminds me of our Sunday school, right? Wisdom of men or wisdom of God. We talked about that. But in this case, this is not too dissimilar from what we read in Mark chapter 11. Because in the subject of, uh, of John the Baptist, there was a question that was raised similar to this, talking about, but not talking about Jesus, but be talking about John the Baptist, which was uh, relevant to this. In Mark chapter 11, verse number 30, listen to these words. The, uh, the authorities approached Jesus, the scribes, the chief priests, the elders, and they say, By what authority doest thou these things? And Jesus answered them. He says, I will ask you of you one question and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. He says, The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And, of course, they couldn't answer him. If you keep reading there, we won't read it, but... Uh, they couldn't answer him because they were afraid. If they said no, the baptism of John was of men, then they were afraid the people would stone them because the people loved John, and they believed that John's ministry was from God, that he was a prophet. Okay, the people, the common people. But if they said no, it was of God. Then the automatic question is, then why have haven't you, the leaders, received what John said? And so they were caught kind of in a between a rock and a hard place, and when they were posed this question by Jesus. But listen, this is an important question that, is, that, is, that should be asked by all of us. Listen now. Because at the core of this question that Jesus asks them of John is the same question that they're asking that Gamaliel is posing, although he's not asking the question. But it's the same sort of question that Gamaliel is raising in Acts chapter 5, which is this. Is this of God or is it simply of men? That's an important question to ask. That's an important question to ask. When you think about religion, is your religion of God or is it of men? Think about it. You know, you think about the religions that that exist in this world, what they believe, they believe everything all differently. It's an important question to ask. Is your faith resting in something that's man-made or something that was given by God Himself? Because if it's man-made, just as we saw in Sunday School with Wisdom, it will come to naught. That's true. What Gamaliel says in that point is a fact. But you know what the truth is? Many people are resting their very soul on a doctrine of men many people, their soul's salvation is resting and, and based on a foundation that is man-made. Think about that. A doctrine of man, a religion of man, and it didn't come from God. Now, the only way that we can know if something comes from God is if God tells us, <laughs> Because, Right? Because these things, these are spiritual things, you can only discern them spiritually. In other words, from what God says in the Scripture. And if it's not in the Scripture, there's no there's no light in it. It's just that simple. That's why we always go back to what the Bible says. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. It's not a listen, it doesn't matter the Baptist way of salvation. Who cares about the Baptist way of salvation, right? Who cares about the Baptist way of baptism or the Baptist way of church polity or the Baptist way of whatever? That doesn't make it right. Can can, can, can y'all give me kind of an amen? I'm 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 afraid to nod. I'm afraid to nod. It seems wrong. (laughs) Come on, loosen up, loosen up. I know it's sleepy and it rained and cloudy and all that. Listen, if the Baptist religion is of men, it's wrong. Only what is of God. That's the question Jesus posed about John the Baptist. Here's the thing. John came from God. His message was from God. And anyone who did not take heed to what John said would give an account to God himself. Right? On the other hand, if it's just simply something a bunch of men made up there, nobody is accountable to God. You know what? That gives me great liberty. I don't have to worry about what everybody else says. I don't have to give an account for why I don't do whatever, you know, that I don't follow some doctrine of men. I'll only have to worry about the Lord himself and what he says. But the truth is, is if our faith is resting on a, a doctrine of, of, that, was, that came of men, man's wisdom, it will fail. In the end, it will be blown right away. Our faith must be in what God says. It must be for our soul, but also for our life as a disciple of Christ practically. And that's the question that Gamaliel is touching on. I, I, don't, I, I dare not say raise, but he's, that's the question that he's touching on. Is, are what these disciples doing and preaching, is it of God or not? Now you'll notice he does not answer the question. I'll be honest with you. As I was, um, as I, Ari, can you grab me a bottle of water from that cry room? I'm sorry. I'm just, my throat's just like going Death Valley on me. Oh, right here. Okay. Thank you. Don't worry. I'll cut this out of the recording. So the question, that, the question that Gamaliel raises is, is what these men, this council, he calls it, the work, is it a work of men or a work of God? Now, to us, we read the book of Acts up to, up to chapter five. That seems obvious. Look at what they're doing. Look at these miracles they're performing. It is evident, right? There's miracles to confirm the word. That's what we've learned, right? Doctrinally, y'all like all that deep doctrinal stuff, but that's what it shows us. This was of God. Of course, he didn't want to accept that which is, I think, evident, but I'll be honest with you. When I started looking at Gamaliel, at first glance, when I started reading the passage to begin, what I've always thought, as I've read the book of Acts, was Gamaliel seemed like a reasonable person. That's what I thought. When G- Gamaliel seemed like a very, a very he, he was a person that was governed by moderation. Not, he wasn't given to extremes. And you know what, in a way, that's, I guess in some circumstance, it's good to be a moderate person. The Bible says we should have moderation, right? Let your moderation be known unto all men. Don't be given to extremes. In certain circumstances, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, And, you know, when you see somebody's up and down, in and out, left, you know, and they're on one extreme and then the other, and then they're contradicting themselves with their different positions, that's, you know, that's definitely a problem. But as I got to reading it and started reading some things other authors had written and started looking at it even more, I found something really concerning about Gamaliel. I found something really dis- concerning about it, Gamaliel. But let's look at what he said that was, that was good and right. Now, in, in verse number 36, or verse 35, ye men of Israel, listen to what he says, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutus, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain. And all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this rose up Judas of Galilee, which is interesting because Josephus mentions Judas of Galilee by name. All right, I'll explain that in a minute. In the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him, he also perished. And all as many as obeyed him were dispersed. How many, of you, how many of you have ever heard of Simon Zelotes in the Bible, right? You thought, that's kind of a weird name. You know why he's called that? It's because he was a zealot. In other words, he was part of a group that was, they actually had a name. Uh, they were, he was a Jew who was zealously against the Roman occupation of the Holy Land. I mean, to the point that they would take arms up against the Romans and fight against them. You've heard of the Maccabean revolt that, that happened between the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's covered somewhat in the Apocrypha, but, but, which is not scripture, but it is covered the, it, historically. But what's interesting is there were different times, and you can see it kind of here and there, but it's not a main event in the book of Acts or in the Gospels because that's not what it's about. But you can see that people resent the Romans. And so there were groups that wanted to fight the Romans, the, the zealots, were some of those groups. One of the Christ disciples was, one, was formerly one of, those, one of that group. Now, why does that matter? Because when we read here, that's the cultural context. Read these two men that he cites, Thutis and Judas of Galilee. Okay, What these were were Jews that hated Rome with a passion. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to lead an insurrection to kick Rome out of Israel they did not want rome to govern israel they were extremely patriotic for their nation and so that's what they wanted to do but notice he brings them up and as you can imagine that was a, an exercise in futility against the rome the romans the romans were you could roughly equate the roman the romans of this period to the role in the world that it had that the united states has in the world now it's unmatched up, up to this point the romans were and so this was futile but these guys would go against the Roman government and they would lead rebellions and those kinds of things. But notice the point he's making. In verse number 38, he says, Refrain from these men and let them alone, for if, this is this point, if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. Now let me ask you a question, just as a matter of fact, all right? Forget about the person speaking it. You've got to be able to do that. You've got to be able to, to to at least temporarily separate what someone is saying from the person to examine if what they're saying is true. Because sometimes truth comes in a form, uh, comes by means of something that you don't, really, you don't really care for a whole lot. So it's good to be able to examine truth objectively. So let's look at Gamaliel's tr- uh, what he's saying objectively. If God starts a work, if God starts a work, does he just abandon it for it to come to nothing? As an example, when, when his word goes forth, you remember in, I think it's Jeremiah, his word goes forth, does it return void? No. You see, when God does a work, like Gamaliel says, he says, but if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. There's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that. In that when God starts something, uh, the verse I use when, when people ask me to sign their Bible, uh, the verse I, I write is Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, he started it, he's gonna finish it, right? He's the captain of our salvation. He's gonna bring it to a conclusion as well. That's what the Lord does. Whatsoever the Lord doeth, he doeth forever. That's the truth behind that. And you know what? There's truth in what Gamaliel is saying. On the other hand, if you have a work of men, of course, it fizzles, right? It fizzles. But the sad thing is, is he's comparing Jesus to Thutis and to Judas of Galilee. And he's comparing these disciples of Christ to those that followed them. You see, it's funny because, because you can there's a hint in here that they viewed the Christians as basically some insurrection. You know what? The Romans are also going to end up viewing Christians as a form of insurrection, especially when they refuse to bow the knee to the to the, uh, to the decrees of Caesar later. Now, that hasn't happened yet. All of this is happening in one city up to this point. But later, it's going to become a problem. So you have this, You have this. there's a little bit of truth in what he's saying. What God does, he does do forever. And what God does, it, it doesn't just come to naught because God is involved and God sustains it. That's why, that's why when, we, when we get saved, and listen now, when there is a true work of God in us, it doesn't stop. When you put, your, you put your faith in Christ, the reason why you're here today, there's only one reason, one reason only, is because God didn't stop working in you. Now, we know the Holy Spirit all those things. That's the means, but, but that's what this... When God did something in you, He did something permanent. And He... And, and he's all in, as they say, he's all in in what he's doing in you. And he's going to continue to do that until the until the day of Jesus Christ. Interestingly, it doesn't say any of you who, who listened to that podcast that I said to you, because he, he brought he brought it up. The, the preacher, Brother Paula, he brought it up. He said it doesn't say that he'll do that work in you until you die. He says until the day of Jesus Christ, he's going to do it. Whatever work he's doing in you. And whatever kind of reverberations or ripples that has throughout history, he's going to continue to use that work he did in you, which continues after you die. Your works do follow you, right? He's going to continue until the, until the, until the very, the very uh, time that he returns. Listen, that is true. That is true. I'm afraid, though, there are people that profess faith in Christ that fizzle. Because there's not a true work of God in their heart. Because it doesn't continue. They went out from us because they were not all of us, right? This might explain why people's profession of salvation fizzles so frequently. Because it's simply not of God. There is no work of God in them, and so it fizzles, it comes to naught. Now the difference between foodists and Thutis and Judas of Galilee and Jesus. Well, there's a lot of differences, but the primary difference for this, for my point here, is that their work was not of God, but Jesus was God in the flesh. And his work is a permanent work he's doing in the earth. Proverbs 18, verse 3, listen to this. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame unto him. Now, what the point that he's making, and we'll move on, Gamaliel's saying, he's opening the door to truth. He's opening the door, just cracking it a little bit. He's saying, okay, listen, if this is true, let's just see how, how it goes. If it's of God, it'll prosper. And if it's not, it'll fall. Okay, that seems reasonable. That's why I said his advice is reasonable. And there is some, there is, besides what I've said already, there is some truth, you know, sometimes when you see something immediately, you know, it makes you think one thing as a first impression, but it, it takes time for that thing to really come to full fruition so that you can see the end of it. And once you see the end of it, then you can better assess whether it was good or not. But now, now there are times when you can't wait until the end of something to, to judge it, to give a judgment. You shouldn't judge, whatever. This, this is the time where you have to judge things. Look at, uh, hold your place here, and real quick, go to First Timothy chapter number five. This kind of gives you an example of what I'm referring to. Time is often the best revealer of what thing, how things truly are. First Timothy five, verse number twenty four says this. First Timothy five, verse twenty four. Paul says to Timothy, some, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. You know what this says? Among other things, you know what those, those verses are saying? It says you don't know the matter until the very end. You, you, you might not know the full ramifications and the full character of a man, a woman, of a person, of a doctrine, until it has time to really fulfill its, fulfill its course. And that, as far as Gamaliel is concerned, is true. We can look at that and we can say, whatever way we think about Gamaliel, we can say he does have a little bit of truth here. So let's latch on to that, okay? Let's go to the next thing. Verse number 38. The problem with verse number 38 is that nasty little two-letter word, if. He says, if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. The second thing I want us to see is that Gamaliel, now concerning his advice, there's a little bit of truth. There's some truth. But concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, Gamaliel took a position of neutrality, right? Now, at first, I thought Gamaliel was good because of the good outcome. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the problem is that Gamaliel, was, his position was a non-position about Jesus. It was, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. He left the door open that God might be on the apostle's side after all. But here's the danger. He didn't seem to be bothered by it at all. He didn't seem to be bothered with the potential that he himself pointed out that maybe they were fighting against God, that maybe he had rejected the Messiah. I mean, after all, he just heard Peter accuse him of the blood of Jesus, right? He don't seem to be alarmed by it very much. But here's the thing. The Lord demands that we take a side. Here's the thing. Concerning Jesus Christ, there is no neutrality. That's what we have to understand. There is no middle ground. You can't, you can, there's, no, there's no place where Gamaliel seeks to be. He's looking for a chair between the side of being an enemy of Christ and being a disciple of Christ, a believer, a, a, a wholehearted believer. He's looking for a chair in the middle, in the aisle. And there aren't any. There aren't any. Now, he's being kind to the Christians, is he not? He's, he's defending them. He, in other words, he's defending their right to do what they're doing on the basis that they might be right after all. But let me, t- let me explain something to you. Neutrality, neutrality is the same as rejection. Neutrality is the same as rejection because the Lord demands that we take a side. See, by taking this position, he is rejecting Christ in the gospel. Now, if you say, well, that's not very nice. Well, hear, hear me out. Is he receiving the gospel? No, he's not. He's not believing in Christ. He does not believe in Christ. He's just leaving it open that it might be true, but that's not the same. Neutrality is not the same as a wholehearted faith in Christ, trusting in Christ. So basically, he was rejecting Christ, but nicely. But rejecting Christ nicely is the same as rejecting Christ. Kind rejection is still a rejection. But by contrast, the apostles had taken their stand. The apostles are not not looking for a chair in the middle. The apostles had believed in Christ and had our standing with him. You see, we cannot, no one can be neutral regarding the Lord Jesus Christ because there is no neutrality. There's no neutral way to, there's no neutral position in regards to Christ. You can be neutral about a lot of things, and that's okay. But Jesus is not one of them. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty three, 23, listen now, please. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. He that is not with me is against me. You know what that means? There's no chairs in the aisle. That means there's no way to be a partial Christian, 50% believer. Jesus says, if you're not all in, if you're not with him, that is where the apostles are, you're against him. Ooh. So if that's true, and we know it is, then Gamaliel's in a world of trouble because Gamaliel is against Jesus. That's what Jesus, that's what his words tell us. But ask yourself this: Did Gamaliel really believe what he's saying? If this be of God, if it be of men, did he really believe it? Because he, if he, if he really believed what he's saying, why didn't he search out the matter? Did we not? Did I not just quote the verse? He that answereth the matter before he heareth it is a folly and shame on him. Yes, sometimes you got to wait. You got to wait on that matter to work itself out before you can. You got to hear the matter before you can judge it. Yes. But woe unto the man that refuses to hear the matter and search it out. That's what's happening with him. You see, he's just, he's just kind of being neutral, kind of, kind, of, kind of blase, kind of whatever, you know, kind of taking the middle road between, between heaven and hell, between salvation and damnation. He's kind of taking the middle road, well, you know, compromise, you know, that kind of thing. But here's the thing. He's not searching it out. He's not looking for the truth. And he doesn't seem to be alarmed by it. You know, if, if it was true that the Christians were right, he ought to be alarmed if he's fighting against God. That's what he said. But he's not. Gamaliel took a political position. What is he arguing? Think about it. Let's wait and see. I don't, don't want to be on, he's saying, I don't want to be on the wrong side of this. What are the, the things, the, the, the catchphrase these days that politicians constantly say, gets on my last nerve. Going to be on the wrong side of history. Who cares about history? What about truth by principle? Is Jesus the way or not? It doesn't matter if history likes it or history doesn't. Truth stands regardless of what history does. So we don't say wait and see like Gamaliel does. He we say, well, wait and see. If it's of God, then it, you can't overthrow it. If, it you know, if it's not, then it'll fall like Judas, like Thutis, etc. We just don't want to be on the wrong side of this. very, Very political stance. You see, here's the thing about Gamaliel. The truth is not what concerns him. That's why he's not searching it out. That's why he's not alarmed. He wants a neutral position. And this, listen, this neutral position is a nefarious little devil because it is everywhere around us. Gamaliel took a lukewarm position. Jesus said in, uh, in Revelation chapter 3, in his letters to the seven churches, he says, I were thou wert warm, or he says, cold or hot, but thou art lukewarm. Gamaliel was lukewarm. He wanted that middle road. Paul, listen now, Paul was hot. I'm sorry. At this point in time, Paul was cold. He was against the gospel. These priests, high priests are cold. Peter and John and the apostles are hot for the Lord. They believe in the Lord. The Lord said, listen, this is striking. The Lord says, I want you one or the other. I don't want you in the middle. That's what Revelation 3.15 says. I, want, I don't want you in the middle. There's no room for neutrality here. But you know what? Gamaliel's position is among the most common positions that we find today concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. People want to be friendly with Jesus without repenting and believing in Him with all their heart. They want to kind of be on friendly terms. But they're not saved. And you know what? By, by taking this, this, uh, this, this false assumption that they're kind of in the middle... This lukewarm, this neutral position like Gamaliel does, you know what? They lull themselves into a sense of security. Because after all, they want to be friendly toward Jesus, sort of like Gamaliel. They don't want to be against him, but they're not with him either. And they expect because they're, they're trying to be friendly to the Lord, the Lord's going to be friendly back. But all, listen now, but all the while they are rejecting Christ and his claims. Listen now, they're still rejecting him, but they're rejecting him with a friendly face. That is neutrality. There is no room for neutrality. You're either in or you're out. You're in his fold or you're not. There's nobody standing on the threshold of the the door. You're either in Christ or you're outside of Christ. You either have life or you're abiding in death. Right? Right? You either have salvation or you don't. There's no middle. There's no, well, maybe possibly, maybe in the end I'll find out. No, no, you either are right now, in or out. We're not all, listen, it is a a false doctrine to, to, to talk as if we're all waiting to find out if we're saved once we die. I'm not waiting to find out, and I sure hope you aren't either. Christ has died for me. That is enough. Is it not? That is all. It is done. It is done. I am in Christ. It has nothing to do with the good things I've done. I'm not waiting to see. No, I put all my eggs in this basket. And if this fails, it fails, period. But it won't fail because the Lord cannot lie. You see, we cannot be neutral to the gospel. You cannot be neutral to Jesus. You can't be both. You've got to be one or the other. You've got to be in or out. To be neutral is to reject him. Chapter 5, verse 34. Look, notice what it says. We're almost finished. Then stood up one in the council of Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law. This is the key. Had in reputation. Maybe we see a little bit of the reason. I'm reading between the lines, I admit. But I think probably safely so. Do you agree, Ben? <laughs> He was highly regarded and esteemed. He was respectable. This very well might have been the reason why he sought to take a neutral position. Maybe he saw merit in what the apostles were doing and maybe it was true, like he said. But he wasn't willing to go all the way and be be one of them, be one of those crazies. Lest he lest he lose his reputation, his position. You know, there was another man, his protege, Paul, called Saul of Tarsus, who was also at this same place. But Paul went all in. Paul believed in Christ. And You know what, Paul, what happened to Paul as a result? He lost it all. But did he regret it? Philippians 3 says no. He says, And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, I count all of those things, but what? Dung that I may win Christ. Philippians 3, 7 and 8. You see, that's what would have been Gamaliel's fate had he believed in Christ all in. And that's just too much. So he rides the line. But to ride the line is to be on the outside. Oftentimes in our time, people take a position of neutrality because they love their sin. They want to be friendly with Jesus, but continuing the wickedness that they live in, which testifies to how they are. They they want to kind of be friendly. Oh, yeah, me and Jesus, we're good. We're good. We're good. I've heard that. I'm sure Ben's heard that too. Oh, we're good. We're good. Me and Jesus, tight. You're not tight. You just, you have deceived yourself into thinking you're tight. You're not. You're outside of the fold. The Bible, listen now, listen to these words. The Bible says you are without hope and without God in the world. You are without life. You do not have eternal life. You are under the wrath of God. Is that Adam Wood talking? Or is this not what God said in the Bible? It is a dangerous place to lull oneself into a false sense of security by being neutral. People love their sin, so they want to soothe their conscience by thinking thinking that they're okay with God. But they're not. Gamaliel was not. Last thing I want you to see before we close is this. This will be brief. So concerning Gamaliel's advice, there was some truth in there. Concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, Gamaliel took a position of neutrality. But concerning the disciples, the Lord used Gamaliel's advice to spare them far worse persecution. That's the irony. I love irony. Gamaliel was not doing right. He was trying to walk both, and he can't. But God used that to protect the disciples from further harm. The Lord used a vapid stance to spare the apostles' death or long-term imprisonment. And you know what? <laughs> What's interesting about the council is the council, in verse, <laughs> verse 40, is crazy. So verse 40 says to him, they all agreed, oh yes, yes, we ought to let them alone, da, da, da. And whether they, they beat them half the death. We ought to leave them alone. Now let's beat them 40 stripes, save one. They didn't leave them alone. And then they forbid them for speaking in the name of Christ. So they didn't really take, they didn't really, I don't know why I'm laughing because Peter, if he could see me right now, Peter would be like, what are you laughing about? That was not funny. But it sounds funny as you read it, I guess. They didn't take his advice, but it did spare them. And they were able to continue their ministry. These were bloodthirsty people, wicked people, full of hate. Anybody who wants to kill someone else is full of hate. God says they don't have eternal life abiding in them, right? Mm -hmm. But to conclude, listen. Ask yourself this. In the end, at the outcome. All right, think about it with me. reading it yourself, you're a priest of God, right? You're a child of God. You got the spirit of God in you. Read the text yourself. Look at what Gamaliel says, his own testimony of what he thinks. What was the end result of Gamaliel's stance? What was the final outcome of what he said? Think about it. Number one, the disciples could indeed continue their ministry. Yes, right? Right? But is Gamaliel saved? Despite his attempts to ride the line, in the the final say, is he saved? No. No matter what he did to try to protect the disciples, no matter what he did trying to be friendly to Jesus and to the, the way, as it was called in the scripture, Gamaliel himself was still on his way to hell for rejecting Christ. What a terrible thing. What a terrible thing to be friendly to Christianity, to be friendly to God's people. I'm, I'm using that, kind of stretching it a little bit in this case, but what, 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 a, what a place to be in to be friendly with God's people, friendly with, with the Lord, but ultimately reject Him and His claims because of reputation, because of some sin that we wanted to keep, that we couldn't repent from, or we felt was was too important to us. You see, in the final outcome, Gamaliel is still lost. That's the sad thing. Let's pray together.